And you know, guess what's coming up? Thanksgiving. Now, now you know, a lot of, a lot of the holidays, we kind of slack off on, or we, we kind of ignore like it's, well, you know, it's not that important. But I'm going to tell you something, we don't miss Thanksgiving now. There are going to be some good eating on Thanksgiving. So, so we got that coming up, and, and uh, we'll be with family and friends. I tell you, we, we have a lot to be thankful for. We, we're back together again after this pandemic, even though it still exists. But, you know, we, we, we came a long way. And guess who brought us from a mighty long way? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we, were, we were out of it, and he put us right back in. He put us right back in, and he gave us, he gave us, when we're obedient, he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. So we, 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 we thank him for that. Would you please, please pray with me? Father, we, we come to you and we thank you, Father, for, for blessing our life. We thank you for, for being there for us. Father, and we ask you to continue to bless us, us here at North Brevard Church of Christ. Father, we, uh, we're all bounded together in love. We're, we're connected. And that's how, how we should be, Father. And we thank you for that. Father, we, we're going to uh, worship you. We're going to listen to your message. We're going to pray for this body. We're going to sing praises to you, Father, and we're going to remember what Jesus Christ did for us, how he gave his life so that we can have that relationship with you. Father, we have some, some members that, that need your attention. Uh, Father, we ask that you uh, heal Sandy Taikto as she recovers. Father, we ask you also heal Calvin Noble Jr. as he had gallbladder surgery, Father. Uh, Father, I think about my sister Gail Griffin, Father. We ask that you be her as she go through several tests, Father, and heal her body and restore her health. Father, I also think of uh, Tommy and Glenda Massey, Father. You know, they've been going through some some ups and downs with their physical health. Father, we ask that you, you help them. And Father, we, I think about Alvin uh, mourning the loss of Maxine. Father, we ask that we support him, Father, and you give him comfort. Father, we're going to have some guest, guest preachers, and I'm looking forward to that. Mike, Mike O'Neill and his deliberate way and his is just a patient way. He's going to share, share the message with us this morning, and we look, we're looking forward to that, especially I am. And John Fisher is going to bring the message to us this evening, Father. We pray that, pray that everybody come back and really encourage John and really listen to your word and uh, as we step-by-step step move in the direction of sharing you with our neighbors. We ask that you bless us in that. 
Father, the food pantry asks that you continue to bless this community uh, through us, Father. We, we pray that it, it's not only provide physical food, Father, but it, it helps them connect with you, Father. And they really know where true, the true food of life comes from. Father, we getting ready to worship you. We love you. Take care of us. We pray this prayer in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Uh, first song this morning is going to be We Bow Down. You are Lord of Good morning, guys. Before we bow, just a quick story. I was talking to a young man. He's uh, growing, growing and uh, excited about growing. So he had a question. He was like, uh, he's learning all this stuff. He's trying to impart his wisdom on others and help them grow. And he was noticing that people weren't receptive to what he was saying. So we had this conversation about how iron sharpens iron. But then, when you take it from a different perspective, and I was thinking of iron representing an axe, what happens if iron tries to sharpen wood? You damage that wood. What happens if iron tries to sharpen like a wall? You damage that wall. So you may not get the type of result that you plan for. So some people are ready for meat. Some are ready for milk. But whatever you do, just do it in love. In this time, this holiday season, we had the chance to come in contact with a lot of people, a lot of people, some that we're used to talking to day in and day out. Some are from the outer reaches of our circle that we only see once every blue moon. Use this opportunity to lead with love. Let us bow. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you bestowed upon us and all those around us. Father, we offer for 
prayers for all those who are sick and ailing, recovering, that you bring them back to their normal state of health. Father, we thank you. We thank you for our brothers and sisters beside us. We can love up on and they can love up on us. And we can be a support system for them and they can be a support system for us. It's a blessing to have each other. And Father, it's a blessing to know your love, your grace, your mercy extends all through time. Father, be with the brother who's going to give the message today. Let him give it in a way that's clear and easy for us to understand and apply to our lives. In the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and King, Amen. In preparation of the Lord's Supper, uh, we'll be singing, Come Share the Lord. If you're able, please stand. We gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through the loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the Lord. No. You know, when Jesus was approaching the end of his ministry, his brothers kind of teased at him and said, come on down to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he said, no, my time's not ready. Well, he ended up going anyhow. But what was the right time for him? November was about the time frame when the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of the Booths occurs. And it was around April, which was the Feast of the Passover, that was the right time. It was the right time because it was the time they remembered the death angel passing over them and the blood that was given by that perfect lamb and the body that was given by that perfect lamb that enabled them to avoid the death angel. That's why Passover was perfect. This is our Passover. This is our remembrance of the lamb that gave its body and gave its blood so death would pass from us. The death of being separated from God. The first death. Because our sins are forgiven. Keep that in mind when we remember Christ as we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine. If you pray with me. Dear Father, we're so thankful for your son. The willingness he had to come 
to die, to give himself for us, Father, and for you. Help us to keep in mind that the body that he gave freely and openly so that we could have salvation with you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Father, continuing, we remember the, the blood that was spilled, that came from the hands, from the brow, from the feet of our Father, from our, from our Savior, Father, that he gave it, and that blood justifies your spirit coming into each one of us. We see how all that works together, Father, to bring us the salvation that we need to be sons and daughters of you, Father. Help us remember the blood that was given that washes us clean. It's Christ in your Amen. Separate and apart from the communion with our, with, our, with our Father and remembering Christ, we have an opportunity to give back as we've been blessed. And join me in prayer. Father, we're so blessed because of the, the blessings of your Son, but the physical blessings that we have as well, Father. We live comfortably, Father. We've been blessed greatly. But there are so many people that need to be reached throughout the world, Father. There's so many that are lost. Help us that we, we have an open heart, a giving heart, that helps us reach a lost and dying world, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is taken from Mark, the 12th chapter, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Kids second grade and younger are dismissed to Children's Church at this time. <laughs> Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, precious of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood.
Well, somehow things got a little um, discombobulated because that was supposed to be the scripture reading. And the other we're going to read in a minute, but that, whatever, doesn't really matter to me. But uh, I'll read this for you. The righteous person is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I want to thank the elders and for asking me to do this. It always is an honor to step in a pulpit at any church. And uh, as I've speaking across the country, uh, you realize that people put a lot of trust in you to be able to come up here, put me up here, and to be able to say things that will bless you and allow God to work through me for you. And uh, that I don't do something that once I come out, finish my talk, that the elders have a problem on their hands. So, uh, but no, it's, it is an honor and I appreciate being able to do this. With saying that, um, John Fisher's speaking tonight. I know COVID has caused us to get out of the habit of coming tonight, coming on Sunday nights. And I just would like to ask you to get back in the habit of coming on Sunday nights. Uh, and I ask that because I know what it takes to put a sermon together. And I know John has put a lot of energy in doing it. We've talked uh, through the week a little bit. I kind of know what he's doing. And, um, and that young man, you know, he's, he's been, had a really interesting life. And uh, God brought a little spiritual purpose to him uh, a few years ago that he decided to go to the Florida School of Preaching. And he's been using that work, that academic study, to be able to, for him to be able to help when he goes to AA and to help sponsor people. He, he, he volunteers at another rehab house that he uses the scripture and what he learns from that to be able to bring the ethics of the Bible to, to these people who are, who are caught up in alcoholism and by his love and care of them, it actually opens up avenues for the gospel to be shared with them potentially at some point. So I do pray that you'll come back tonight and hear John. Uh, I'm, I just love the guy to death, and, I'm, and I appreciate him being able to do that. A number of years ago, when me and Carol first got married, uh, we lived at the Royal Oak Colony Apartments. And Lois lived there not too many years ago. And, um, <clears throat> and when we first got married, we literally had no furniture. I mean, we ate off a card table that I borrowed from my parents. Uh, and it was, uh, and we finally bought, we bought, I think when we first got married, a bedroom suit from somebody who was cleaning out uh, uh, an apartment they owned on Cocoa Beach. I remember driving down there and picking that up. But uh, we, not too long after that, we had a new neighbor move behind us in that apartment complex. And he had a, a pretty good stereo with a subwoofer. Does anybody not know what a subwoofer is? I think some people, what I'm thinking is don't, based on some faces I'm seeing. A subwoofer takes the bass sounds and makes them really loud, the really low end sounds. So when you hear a car going along the road sometimes and it's going boom, 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 that's got a subwoofer in it, okay? And that's what you're probably hearing. Well, our neighbors had a subwoofer. So, and he played that stereo pretty loud. And I can put up with that, you know, during the day and stuff and didn't worry about it too much. But there was, came one night, it was at midnight, and that stereo was on, and I couldn't hear the actual music, but that subwoofer was so loud 
that it was literally vibrating the bones in my head. And, um, and I actually went to them the next day and said, hey, you got to turn this thing down, you know, at times. Well, it just happened after that, and they were nice about it and did turn it down some, but you could still hear it. Because those walls were kind of paper thin, weren't they, Lois? You had a piece of drywall, two by fours, and another piece of drywall. And that's where your neighbors were right on the other side of that. So me and Carol actually wasn't long after that, we started looking for a house. Um, but that really wasn't what I would call very neighborly, you know, playing that stereo like that. Now, where we're living today, um, the current folks that we're on a very heavily wooded lot and the people around us, it's fairly heavily wooded. You can see the houses from certain angles and we have a long access way that comes to our house. And um, <clears throat> so we'd walk down a driveway before we really can see this one particular neighbor. Well, he was on his property trimming an oak tree that was right along the border. And our access way is also shared with another neighbor. In uh, the north side of that access way is his property. Well, this other neighbor, he all of a sudden, he looked around and he didn't see anybody. So he took the limbs he had been trimming and he put them over the fence on my neighbor's lot, part of his property. Well, sure enough, because Carol must have been walking down the driveway, he looks up after doing that, and there's Carol looking at him. And so, you know, he's kind of feels shame and stuff, so he's reaching back over the fence and <laughs> pulling the limbs back, you know. And uh, I don't know what was in his head to begin with, because it was very obvious he had cut them, you know, so my other neighbor would have been, not been real happy with him. But uh, not too neighborly, was it? Well, when I was growing up, we originally lived when I was five years old and younger. I, my parents moved to Titusville when I was one years old. And my dad moved down here from Baltimore with the space program. And we lived by this family off Barna Avenue in Titusville. <clears throat> lived by them for years there. We decided to build uh, in a neighborhood called Forest Hills. And so, and sure enough, they did too. They built a house right beside us. And we had went on vacation with them, and they were always over in our house and special times and stuff and had dinner together, uh, really close with them. Well, when my dad was dying, uh, he got prostate cancer, and it was found very late, and there was nothing could be done. And uh, we had a caretaker come in uh, and to help with all that time frame. And to get out of that environment for a little bit. My sister had come down from, come from California, and we went down to Ashley's to eat down in Rockledge. I don't know if any of y'all know where that is, but we were down there uh, just had got our meal, and the caretaker called Ashley's, and they took, I had to go up and get the phone, and she said, your dad's dying. He's, he's only got a little bit of time. You need to come on home. So, I go home, and, uh, and I won't get into some of the particulars, but my, my dad was breathing laboriously. Uh, he had what's called, and some of y'all will know what this is and may have even heard of, death rails. And so, you know, it was, uh, a very, wasn't a long time for him to last there. Well, that long-standing neighbor, the man, he comes over, and he, gosh, I didn't think I'd do this with him, but he holds my dad's hand, and he's patting it with the other hand, and he's just talking. He's, he's just talking him into eternity. 
talking him into eternity. That's neighborly, folks. To enter such a sacred place uh, and comfort my dad and support him and help send him on his way uh, was a remarkable thing, a remarkable thing, a true neighbor. So what I want to do this morning is share some thoughts on neighborliness. And we're going to eventually look at, at the story of the born, man born blind in John 9. Um, but first, let's look at Mark 12, 28, 31, and what, what Jesus said about our neighbors and our, how we should treat them. One of the scribes came up and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now we see Paul say this about the neighbor verse. He says, for the law was fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, the loving God, the loving neighbor, all the other things is just can be fulfilled that we have in the law. If we can really practice the deep care of what God wants us to have for one another. The actual commandment to the Jews in Leviticus that Moses wrote down for us is, you shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And the Lord kind of puts his authoritative stamp on there with I, I am the Lord. Um, one of the things I want you to notice here, are the, the sons of your people don't take vengeance nor hold grudges against the son of your people. But what you're to do with the sons of your people, that's the context to this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it kind of defines here the neighbor. And what I'm trying to point out here, and, and one of the things that's important to realize in the Leviticus codes, the moral codes that are there, God was trying to establish for them how were they going to live together? How could they tolerate one another? How could they go about and practice the good things that could allow a faith community to flourish together? And this is one of the, the verses or one of the commandments that's given, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And obviously you can see you're not going to want to steal from your neighbor if you love them, right? You're not going to wind up hating them if you love them and do mean things and so on. And you can see these moral codes that are in Leviticus that this just winds up summing them all up. Now, what I want to show you is if you continue on in Leviticus, it goes on and says this, and this is kind of like an addendum to that verse. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So basically, the, the stranger who's living there amongst them, who's there amongst them, becomes neighbor, right? Just like them as their own neighbors in the Jewish religion themselves. 
Uh, and as such, we see in the Good Samaritan, which Doug talked about a couple weeks ago, the Good the Samaritan uh, is a stranger in that land, uh, somebody who's who they should recognize as neighbor. All right. So what we're going to do is look in John as uh, in verse starting in verse one in chapter nine and. This is a story about a man who was born blind. And we're not going to have time to dissect it all. It's, it's a really remarkable story. Uh, but it's got like seven different scenes in the story that happen fairly close together. Uh, but let's start. We're going to look. Uh, basically, we're going to get to where we talk about the neighbors is where I'm heading with this. But we need to put the context to that with the first seven verses. So if you would... Let's, uh, let's begin by reading that. John 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva and applied the mud to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he left and washed and came back seeing. Now what I want you to look at here and think about is... How do the disciples view this man? And how does Jesus view this man? Who sinned, basically, is the question. The man in his mother's womb, which basically to a Jew would be the man either sinned in his mother's womb or his parents sinned somehow while he was in the womb. And thus, he was being punished by God for that sin. And that's what the Jews would have believed at that time. That was, so to, to the Jew, this man's current state of blindness was warranted because it was from God. And he basically, as you can imagine, he was the manifestation of sin to them because it was, was basically the result of sin. Now, the disciples, they kind of viewed this lowly man as an opportunity for a theological debate didn't they? They were like, well, who sinned? Him or his parents? So they wanted to discuss with Jesus the theology there about who's at fault. Well, Jesus obviously viewed him from compassion, didn't he? Because he wound up healing the man. And the disciples, they didn't care about, they didn't seem to be able to look at him compassionately. Uh, they were blinded by their beliefs of the time of the traditions of the Jews. Uh, compassion played no role in the disciples' attitude. Um, he was just one of life's and religion's great conundrums to them. And so they wanted to talk about it. Now, one of the things that's kind of a little sad in the story is they're passing by him and they ask this question. And I have a funny, the man was blind, but he probably, his hear's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, there's a good chance he was in earshot and heard what they said. And I'm surely this would bring pain to him. I mean, he's just an innocent guy that's been born blind, right? Uh, and it kind of made me think, because I, incidentally, I wrote about some of this in the, a book that I actually sent off to the publisher a couple months ago. 
Um, I, I used some of this material for this sermon, but uh, it's very different than what's in the book. It's, I take a different approach from what I'm looking at in the book at least. But, uh, but have you ever experienced a barbed attack, if you will, because something about your appearance or some disability you have or some past mistake that you've made. And those things, they hurt, don't they? I mean, they really do. I mean, I, when I was younger, when in elementary school, between my two front teeth, I had a pretty good space. And as I grew older and my, my skeletal system and teeth formed, continued to form, that narrowed down to a pretty normal thing. But at that point, it was really wide. And I remember, I can still see the kid out on the playground saying a very, very hurtful thing to me about that, you know, and it really, really hurt. Well, this poor man, you know, he's been hearing stuff for years. And the Jews, believing he was cursed by God, they surely pass by him in disregard. They just disregard him. Or if they look at him, they probably look at him with a pretty reproachful look. But there just always seems to be those arrogant, boastful people that are very bold and verbally seems to remind us of our loathsome state about something, don't they? And that's kind of the state of this man and what he's been going through, I think, for years. And uh, so kind of think about that as we're going through this. You know, our biases, our fears, our interests, our experience can cause us not to notice others at certain times or even disregard them. I mean, we've probably all done that. I know somebody's asked me before, hey, did you see so-and-so at such-and-such place? I didn't, but they were there, and I probably did see them, but my interests were elsewhere. I was doing something different, and I didn't even take notice of them. And we can do that to people, uh, and we don't want to do that to people because it kind of almost treats them as objects. I remember, and it kind of maybe this will help you a little bit because what I mean by experiences and how I shape biases. Um, years ago, Carol asked me to teach here, and then we were at the spiritual growth workshop. This was a long time ago, 25, 30 years ago, maybe. And she saw this book by one of our brothers on angels. And she said, why don't you teach a class on angels here? And, uh, and I'd be honest first, said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't know why I didn't want to do it, but I didn't want to do it. Well, she kept after me. You ought to do that. You ought to do that. So I went and looked the book. and said, Okay, so I bought the book. Well, back then, there wasn't a whole lot of books out there on angels in the marketplace. There just wasn't. Now, Billy Graham had one. And uh, now today, the market's kind of flooded with them. And, uh, and you got to be really careful with them because some of them, incidentally, are very speculative about angels. But uh, so I, I wound up finding five different books on angels. And I was reading through them, trying to put a class together. And uh, there was this one by this gentleman that was talking about a, a topic about angels in the Bible. And I'm not going to get into what it is. That's very controversial. And how he handled this difficult subject really bothered me. And I thought it was ridiculous and it was fabulish. And uh, I'll be honest, I thought he was a loon. I took his book, set it aside, wasn't going to read any more of it. And if that loon would come up and believe that, there's nothing in this book worth reading. That's the way I felt at the time. Well, what's interesting, 
is 20 years pass, and I'm at the Harding School of Theology. And one of the things I, as I was there getting over about eight years, getting my Master's of Art in Christian Ministry, I started liking certain scholars. And I like the way they think and the, their ideas. And so I started buying their books and their commentaries and stuff. Well, there was this one who I really, really liked. And, uh, and I was reading in this commentary about this stuff on angels. And lo and behold, he believed the same way the loon did. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? And I was like, how can this be? And... Uh, and so I went off and then put some, in, some energy into studying the topic, and I changed my mind. And I'll be honest, I really feel very shameful about that, because if that guy was speaking at a conference, I would disregard him. I wouldn't go see him. I wouldn't go listen to him. I wouldn't go up and speak to him. You know, I thought he was a loon, <laughs> and that was my thought on it. And uh, it was built, and basically, and now today, I believe like he does. And incidentally, I finished reading his book. But uh, it's kind of though we build these biases and you can kind of see what I'm talking about. And we might disregard people with prejudices and even just our own interests sometimes. Somebody doesn't look like me, look like us. Uh, and we disregard them. Um, so maybe that give you a little feel on, about what I'm talking about. Now Jesus' answer to them he kind of gave them an unexpected alternative, didn't he? Because they kind of said, well, it's either him or this, you know, or his parents. Well, Jesus said it was neither him or his parents, wasn't it? This happened so we could see the works of God's glory here. And kind of, I think the essence of what Jesus is saying there is, this man's affliction is not to demonstrate God's justice, but God's compassion. And so Jesus heals him. And that's what this was about. It was about the demonstration of God's compassion to people, that he cares about people. So the light, which incidentally Jesus is introduced as the light, the very first part of John, the light illuminates the man's eyes for the first time. Now I want you to think about with me um, the beauty of sight. And I want you to think about the most breathtaking thing you've ever beheld. Um, you know, Charlie, I almost put here a picture of Camden Yards that, where Baltimore Orioles play because I'll never forget one time, I think I was with Charlie, we came in up on the second deck and, uh, and we looked out and that stadium was all lit up and that old B&O Warehouse Railroad buildings in the route there in right field and the skyline of Baltimore with the, this purplish hue of the Bromoselser buildings out. It was just to me gorgeous. It was, it was breathtaking for me and I'm a baseball fan. So, but that was not my favorite. And I don't know if any of y'all recognize this, but this is Yellowstone's Grand Canyon. It's probably why the Yellowstone is named Yellowstone is the yellow stone of, these, of the walls that make up this particular canyon. Um, <clears throat> Grand Canyon, I loved. I, there's certain waterfalls in this country I love. I loved when I went to Sedona. I, we went to Glacier National Park. I thought that was cool. But the, one of the most breathtaking things, this picture just does not do this 
justice. The colors there and the panoramic beauty that's there with that waterfall in the background is just glorious. Now I want you to think about this man. He's washing in the pool of Siloam. He's washing the mud off. And he opens his eyes for the first time. This man was born blind. He had no optic nerve going back to his brain. Jesus healed that, okay? And for the first time, he opens his eyes. And he sees the beauty of a blue sky. He sees the beauty of a tree and flowers. And he sees what people look like. And he sees clothes and colors. Sees his hands, his feet, for the first time. I mean, this dude had to be excited. I mean, he had to be happy. I don't know how a better word to use than joyous. Uh, but what happened next? What happened next? Well, the neighbors happened next. So the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. The man himself kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who was called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the man who was previously blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath on the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Now, how does John here portray these neighbors? And this is where I would really like to draw some conclusions from this morning. Um, one of the things we see here right away, again, this man's excited. There's no celebration. They don't rejoice with him, do they? There's no rejoicing. If you love your neighbor, what should you do? Well, he tells us in Romans 10, 12, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's no evidence of rejoicing here. If you love your neighbor, you'd think you would rejoice with them, wouldn't you? There just seems to be suspicion and questioning. He's still kind of viewed as a beggar. And incidentally, that's a pretty negative assessment. This isn't Benjamin. This isn't Zachariah's son. This is beggar. This is the beggar, you know, the one who begs. That's their assessment of him. This is their, this is their neighbor. This is their fellow synagogue member. He's beggar to them. Many, they don't even recognize him. And I think that's because they've been disregarding him for years. Yeah, he's going to a little bit look a little different, isn't he? His eyes are open. He's got his big smile on his face. But you would think if you loved your neighbor, some of you had been paying attention close enough to him, yet you would recognize him. You'd know his hair. You'd know, you'd, you'd know facial features. You'd know the kind of clothes he wears. You'd know his voice. There are synagogue members. There's neighbors. I think it's pretty repugnant that they don't recognize him personally. And there's this suspicion and disbelief. You can see that it's, nah, it's too remarkable. 
And you know, in fact, as you even get down in the story, the Pharisees believe this whole thing's a ruse. So they probably do too, some of them at least. Um, and we're shared kind of with a parenthetical that it was the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He did work on the Sabbath. And guess what the man did? He walked to the pool of Siloam and washed it off. He did work. So what do they do? They send him to the Pharisees for a good old grilling. You know, that's kind of what happens. Uh, and there's this association with Jesus. And we have another parenthetical down in verse 22 that they had agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So now he mentions Jesus and there's association there. So off to the Pharisees he goes. One of the things I meant to mention on suspicion and, and disbelief. Do y'all remember in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, the odd thing it says about love? It says, love believes all things. I remember, to be honest, it wasn't that many years ago when I, I was reading that again. And I was like, well, that's really odd. Well, I'm not going to believe all things. <laughs> you know? and, um, but it's, and it's not telling us to be gullible. But what it's trying to say is have faith in your neighbor. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, approach them that way. Love them in that fashion. Uh, don't be suspicious of them. Love them. Uh, suspicion kind of rules out doubt. Love is not suspicious. Love tries to go in the path of believing your neighbor. And then we have at the very end, where is he, they ask. Where is he? And you might say, well, that's innocent. They're just curious where he is. They want to see him. He healed the guy, right? Well, if you go back to the very end of chapter 8, and this again sometimes, they really, the translators and how they, they set up the chapters mess us up. Because... We have a conjunction in the Greek in 9-1 starting out. It really should read, and as he passed by. In my version, it reads, as he passed by. You saw this, born, this man born blind. But the conjunction's there. It connects it to the previous things in chapter 8. And what were they trying to do at the end of chapter 8? They were trying to stone Jesus. They were trying to kill him. He basically said he was there before Abraham and, um, and kind of basically kind of equating himself with God, if you will. And so they're trying to kill him. They're trying to stone him. <laughs> and so, and then as he's leaving the temple, he passes by the blind man there asking for alms. Uh, so when the, where is he? That's not, I don't think that's an innocent thing. Um, they were just trying to kill Jesus. Okay, so what can we take away from some of this stuff? Well, guess what? You really probably should act mostly the opposite of way those neighbors acted. One of the things I want to really say is get to know one another. Um, how do you know if someone's really mourning or rejoicing if, unless you really know them? Some people are a little hard to read. You kind of got to know them a little bit to know those kind of things, don't you? How do you know what they've accomplished unless you're involved in their lives? Now, I'm not so naive to know I can't be involved in everybody's lives in here in such a way, in such a way to know these kind of things. But we can know each other better 
to where we can celebrate with them on accomplishments, right? And how do you know with some people how to even appropriately respond, right? Um, let me let back that up. Uh, so we need to get to know each other, and it requires effort at times. So we need to be there with people, do things with people. One of the things that I learned that I really regret in the last year, I don't know how many of y'all were, attended Calvin Noble's funeral, but I, one of the things I learned, oh, I don't know, when we did the um, pack the pulpit thing a couple years ago when our, our small group kind of sponsored that particular effort, um, Arliss Nobles, his wife, one of the things I noticed, started noticing about her, and she was helping us with some things, I could tell that woman was a godly woman. And, uh, and I actually said something to, to William about that, and he said, yeah, you got that right, you know. Well, so was Calvin. And I really wish I could have got to know him better, because as they were, people were coming up here to talk about him and share, individual after individual after individual said they sat on the front porch with Calvin and he basically counseled them, advised them, shared with them, talked with them. I tell you, I would have liked to sat on the front porch with Calvin Nobles. And I missed it. I missed out on that. I mean, I was trying to get to know him, but it was kind of too late for that. And we need to not, not let some things be too late, right, folks? And we need to celebrate with, uh, rejoice with others on their accomplishments. We need to celebrate with them when those things happen. We need to love on them. We need to tell them we're proud of them and encourage them so they'll stay the course and keep going in those good directions. We need to hug them. Maybe it's appropriate to give them a gift. Uh, maybe you take them out to eat. Uh, maybe you give them a Snickers bar. I don't know, you know, but something that shows your appreciation, you recognize what they've done. Uh, my friend John Fisher. John, this March, will be seven years sober. And what he went through to even get to, to go down that road, uh, I, we've been trying to, it was really hard. I would mean, when I say it was hard, it, I, it was hard. And I try to every year, and I think we've done it most years, but on his anniversary month of his sobriety, we go out and celebrate it. We go out and celebrate it somewhere. And... Uh, we need to do those kind of things to show each other when, because it reinforces the effort they've put in, right? And that's what we're trying to do uh, and really show we care about them and learn to have faith in one another. Like I was talking about an individual a little bit ago, that we think the good things about others, not dark things. Um, and I know experience is a teacher, right? Some people may lie to us and you can't trust them in the future and we need to be discerning. But our go-to thing with people ought to be to believe all things, right? To love them. We love them. We want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, it's what God's asking of us to be that way to our brothers and sisters. Um, and when others face issues, we need to have the spirit of support and helpfulness. We need to help them heal so they can grow. We don't want to sit them and, and you know, I, some people I've in my career, career as a Christian, my life as a Christian, they seem to want to shame and punish people. They want them shamed and punished. And I've never really quite got that. We don't want that for folks, right? We want them to heal. We want them to heal. 
We want to be able to support them in that and get back on a good path, a path that aligns them with God and, and to find the forgiveness that they can have in Jesus Christ. And just that covers all this and kind of love others, just value other people. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He valued the blind man. He valued him. He cared about him. Well, my favorite part of the story, you may say, wow, that miracle of giving the gift of eyesight to someone born blind, to basically hooking up all the physical aspects to the brain and the optic nerve and the eyeball. Well, that's pretty cool. But it wasn't my favorite part of the story. As you get down in the story, you can see the sharp-witted responses of the blind man. I mean, he basically gives them a theological argument from, he obviously was paying attention in synagogue because he refutes the very thing they were saying, that Jesus was a sinner. No, he's not. How could he do this if he's not from God? And uh, it's pretty amazing the things he says. Um, but no, that wasn't it either. In the confession, as we go on, he basically has a confession that Jesus was the son of, the man, of, son of man. He was, he was the Christ. And as remarkable and as important that was, that wasn't my favorite part either. My favorite part was the Pharisees wound up putting this man out of the synagogue. He's in ruin in his culture now. It's not like we could go down the street and go to another church or go to another city and go to, go to another church of Christ or some other church. They can't do that. They're out of the synagogue. They're out as a Jew of the synagogues. And as any of the, as he's now can see, and maybe he can support himself somehow and have some kind of livelihood, well, no, he's going to be in financial ruin because they're not going to support him. And so this man's in a really bad spot. He now is in a real bad spot. And what does Jesus do? He goes and seeks him out. He seeks him out. They just were trying to kill him. And Jesus seeks this man out who's in a destitute state, who's now seeing, but Jesus cares enough about him to go to him. And as he starts talking to him and shows that care, guess what does happen next? Jesus is able to reveal his identity to him, and the man confesses him as the Son of Man, and he worships Jesus. It's that he cared about him that made the connection to even allow for Jesus to say that. Um, it's pretty amazing. Loving others' folks opens pathways to Jesus. And that's why we need to do that. I hope you this morning, one of the things you can see for this man, as you look at that whole story, and we didn't look at it all, but to the man who was healed, first he's the man Jesus, then Jesus is a prophet, then he's one from God, and then he's the Son of Man, the Christ. He came to that. Maybe this morning, one of you all recognize and realize our God and sending of his son, our God's not up there as some cosmic cop ready to zap you because you're sinning. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be holy. He sent Jesus for us. And maybe you're starting to recognize that he really does care about me. And... 
and you want to basically confess Him as Lord and you believe in Him and believe in Him and repent of what you've done. And the waters of baptism, I don't know if you can hear them, but I can. They're trickling behind me. <laughs> and, uh, and you want to come and make that profession of faith this morning. And God will give you His Spirit to help you become like His Son and, and walk in ways that He would have you walk. Or maybe this morning it's like, wow, I've just been sitting here in a pew for years, and I'm not very neighborly. I'm not neighborly to my real neighbors. I'm not neighborly to my people and my faith. And you need to change that. You need to change who you are. God can help you change that. And your willingness to do that is the start of that. So whatever way you might have ever need this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you, Mike. It's a, it's a big deal. The, the neighborly love that we can show one another, uh, that's part of the story that always stands out to me is they don't recognize a guy that they saw every single day for 38 years. But uh, the, the blessings of Christ that he has and the blessings that we have. So uh, share those far and wide. That's what evangelism is. Share that good news with your neighbors. Grab yourself a bulletin if you can. We've got some here in a, for you. We've got some, uh, well, that's where we're at. Uh, grab one if you can. It's got several things on there. I'm going to try to highlight a few things. Um, on sick list, um, there's a few updates. Um, I guess I'll start with Glenda. Glenda Massey had a ruptured varicose vein, uh, and she had surgery on Friday. I understand the surgery was successful, and they kept her overnight due to the blood loss. So that's what I know right now. But anyway, keep Glenda and Tommy in your prayers. Nancy Aggie uh, is in the hospital. She has severe t stomach pain. Um, she also had a recent knee replacement. It's apparently not tied to that. She's supposed to start therapy for her knee replacement tomorrow, but we pray that the, uh, the pain and stuff goes away too and manage that. Uh, Kathy Eggleston, her mom had a heart attack in uh, West Virginia and she's in the ICU. So Kathy and, Gate, uh, Kathy and Gracie are up there with her. So pray for Kathy's mom. And uh, Steve Sharp Sr. Uh, is 
plans to go to the ER today or do a, a severe back pain. So keep Steve in your prayers too. Um, what else we got? Ladies class, no ladies class this week. Um, they're canceling that due to Thanksgiving. But they'll meet again December, right? December 7th. They're going to have a regular class and eat. November 30th. Sorry, too many dates on there. November 30th. They're going to meet the following week. So back to that schedule for a while. Um, many thanks to uh, Chris Doris for organizing the work party. They cleaned up on several people that came out and helped. Thank you to them too. They cleaned up on the roadside here. They did some pressure washing on the, the uh, parking spaces out here. The handicapped spaces would get slick when it rains. So I'm thankful for Chris for organizing that. And I understand he even enchanted some woodland animals to help. Is that true? That's your wish, right? So anyways. Uh, my friends, the Anderson boys, I saw three of them here this morning. So Shanti's home from college for a little while. Uh, Amir's stationed in Jacksonville, so he got away. And uh, Elijah is here for a few days, but then ships out to Guam. So if you catch one of them, uh, pray for them as they serve too. Wednesday night, we're going to do a Thanksgiving devotional here at 7 o'clock instead of our regular Bible class. So plan on being here for that if you can. And um, food pantry, they're packing bread today. After, after worship, right? I think so. Back and bread like that. So food pantry is tomorrow. If you can help, help with that tomorrow, come out and help. There's no produce, I understand. So it's a little different schedule. So if you can help with that. Uh, one more thing is the Mount Dora Christmas party. Our Mount Dora Christmas party each year. Camille wrote this down because she knows I'll get it wrong. So anyways, for over 30 years, we've helped uh, bring Christmas to the kids at uh, the Mount Dora Children's Home. And so this year is no different than that. Uh, we're having a party here on December 17th. Once in a while, we get them to come over here. This will be always a good time. So on December 17th, we're going to have a party here. We're going The theme of the party this year is nutcrackers. So I think she's wanting to borrow some nutcrackers. If you can, write your name on the bottom of them so we can give them back to you. But uh, that's a theme that she would like to decorate with. She has the names of the and uh, gift ideas out there in a the foyer with envelopes. Um, it was she's looking for. Gifts about $75 to $100 max. If you can't afford that, find someone to share costs with them or whatever. She uh, has re envelopes, receipts, because kids are kids. This, this right now, they might like the Tampa Bay Bucks, but you know they might change pretty soon for some reason. I don't know. Maybe Tom Brady, may not be Tom Brady. Uh, 39 boys, 39 girls, not 39 boys. There's 39 total, boys, girls, and single parents. So on that list. A little bit on those, and there's also there's hyper hyperlinks. The hyperlinks really don't print out real well. You, I could read them to you, HTTP colon backslash, you know, but they don't print out real well. So she has hyperlinks because I know one girl wants a green leafy blanket, and in all likelihood you're not going to get the right green leafy blanket that she's interested in. So she actually has the Amazon hyperlink, and she'll email that to you if you're interested in that. So see Camille out there, put in a good word for me. I always need that. Um, this evening, John Fisher is speaking here. John's a great speaker. John's a great storyteller. Uh, you can tell he's a great writer, his descriptions of stuff. If you haven't heard John, I encourage you to come out. I love to hear John each and every time that he gets the chance to speak. Um, we try to set aside time for development of our own men here, um, to, that we can be better speakers and that we can fill in uh, voids as we need. And because there's times when it's just, we're not always going to have the paid guide that it's going to be able to do it. So I'm thankful that John is speaking today, Mike O'Neill uh, this morning. They, uh, they grow each one of us, and uh, it's, I'm 
They're my brothers, and I really appreciate that. So anyway, stay faithful. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving if we don't see you until next time. Beggar's not always a beggar. With today's technology, that beggar may be your neighbor. We've seen it. So treat everybody like they're your neighbor. Uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you for this beautiful morning that we've had to come here and worship you, Father. I'd like to thank you for the message that Mike gave us. It made me do, made me do some internal thinking while I was sitting there listening and uh, Father how blessed are we that every Sunday when I come into this church and I see familiar faces and have conversations it makes me feel so comfortable that I know that I'm in a place that that shares the same beliefs the same thoughts and is full of love Father as we as we leave here let us take the love that we have, the love that, that we learn every Sunday, and take it out and let us show other people, Father. Let us show them what it's like to be a Christian and have love for one another, even the beggar, somebody we don't know. Father, let us have that, that, that love, that, that special feeling that you get when you're around somebody, Father. There's no guarantee here on life from zero to a hundred and plus. There's no guarantee of a time. So as we're here, let us touch people. Father, because we're, we're all going to, it's all going to come to an end. And Father, I don't want to be on my deathbed alone. I hope to have that loving neighbor, loving friend holding my hand, Father, when I'm ready to pass. Let us show this love as we go out through the week and the time until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.